This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome back to Launchpad on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Rob Connybeer. I'm a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures. So I'm thrilled to welcome my next guest, Irina Cronin. She is the CEO of Infinite Retina. Previously, she was the CEO of Transformation Group. It advised decision makers on business strategies related to artificial intelligence, augmented and virtual reality, machine learning, and related disruptive technologies. Irina, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, so why don't we start out by just talking about what is infinite retina? Are you, are you referring to the eye, the, the piece of the eye, the retina? Is that the reference? It's the direct reference, but it actually talks about how infinite uh, visual capability is just around the corner. Infinite visual capability. Yes. So why don't you expand on that a little bit? So uh, our company does advisory services for spatial computing for uh, entrepreneurs and also Fortune 500 companies that are interested in entering the space. And spatial computing involves uh, any kind of piece of hardware or software that helps you move through a 3D world. So that's for human beings moving through it, robots, or any other object. For example, Tesla is a spatial computing device. So, I mean, if you think about humans, we're all spatial computing devices, right? So at least for me, like... I was the one when I was a kid, I could find my way around Boston on the T when I was like five years old. I'd explain to my grandmother how we would get to the hospital to visit my mom when she was in there. And that might be an extreme case, but we all kind of walk through the world and think about things in a three-dimensional way. Yet at the same time, I'm looking at my laptop in front of me right now, and it's very much a two-dimensional representation of the world we live in. Yes. Um, that's why I think this is such a natural change for human beings. They're always looking to replicate the experience that they have biologically, you know? So if you could take that and extend your technology so that it's enhanced and helping you, of course, that's going to be 3D too. Yeah. So I think you've done a good job of describing that. And I suspect what, what happens to a certain extent is you, you have maybe a big company or an entrepreneur that is saying, what are these new, what what implications do these new technologies have, virtual reality have for my business? Mm -hmm. And what do you think that people tend to miss about, say, virtual reality or augmented reality today? Oh, wow. Um, It's such a big topic because almost every industry is being impacted or will be impacted with spatial computing. So it depends on what vertical um, is actually telling me this. So if it's retail or transportation, manufacturing. So each one of the types of uh, companies that belong to those verticals have different issues when it comes to spatial computing. They have something, usually a a utility that they want to, uh, a practical thing that they want to solve. So, of course, you have entertainment. So in their ways, it's practical. They want to provide entertainment. But talking about um, enterprise use, uh, basically, the biggest issue right now I'm finding is that people do not understand the technology, how it works. Uh, and as a result, they don't know what the features are. 
they have a very generalized uh, view of what it is from what the media tells them it is, and most of them haven't even tried it. So one of the examples that I think people like to talk about with augmented reality is they, they think back to what Google Glass was supposed to be versus what it really was. So the idea was when you'd watch the video, you thought that you'd have augmentation of your entire field of view, and then you would get directions and signs that would tell you what to do to navigate the subway or go where you wanted to go. When in reality, it was kind of like a little tiny TV that you had to strain your eyes to one side to see. So the reality, though, is these technologies are getting better and better and better to where you actually are going to get something that is able to overlay and feel like something that's in the physical environment around you, even though it's virtualized. And the example that I hear people liking to talk about is you're working on an aircraft engine and you need to use your hands and you're on a mission critical thing. And it basically shows you where the part is supposed to go uh-huh. or tells you where the problems are. What, what do you think are some of the good examples of what augmented reality is going to enable, say, a specific business to do? Well, um, one of the areas you're talking about right now is manufacturing or training for manufacturing. So that is actually really huge and uh, for the last couple of years is being done. So uh, there's augmented reality uh, from what might some people might not consider full augmented reality. So it's more two-dimensional overlay uh, on top of your reality, plus uh, maybe some uh, phone capability and video capability. So that's the start of it. And that started back in 2008, actually. So that's been around for a while on factory floors. Um, what's new is that you're now getting a full three-dimensionality. You're getting, um, uh, you're able to speak and, um, uh, there's like AI and machine learning that's being integrated. Uh, so you don't have to, uh, use your hands to be able to direct, uh, what, what will be done next, uh, using the headset. Um, and, uh, the, the headsets are much lighter. The field of view has increased, uh, tremendously from, post postage stamp to much larger, even though, uh, to be perfectly honest for manufacturing, you don't necessarily want a large, uh, field of view. You want to be able to focus in on the object that you're needing to work on. So that's only one area. Um, uh, another example is obviously for, and, like, and, and the yeah. sorts of things I've seen are you might have somebody on an assembly line. Yeah and they have a part that's come down the assembly line to them, and then they need to put screws into a certain place or they need to put it together in a certain way. Like, yeah. What are some of the examples of what people are actually doing today with augmented reality in that type of environment? They're building whole cars, uh, not only little screws, but um, you know, when it comes down the, the line, uh, they have the glasses on and they basically piece it together. Um, and this Boeing. is in production today. Yes. People are using this today. Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, it's stuff that we unearthed uh, from a, a book that I'm writing uh, with Robert Scoble. So we're actually going through seven different verticals and in doing so, finding out more information than anyone knows together, all together about what's going on. Uh, so we just recently did the manufacturing one. Another example is uh, Boeing, who uses it for engine turbines. Oh, Okay. Very, very common. Uh, so and, they're actually using it. Yeah. Yeah. And it works well? It works really well. Yeah. Um, also, if there's a, let's say, 
um, there's a part it's not working correctly and they need it to be fixed a uh, little ding goes goes off uh, and then the person puts on the headset and they're able to actually see where the issue is Wow yeah. it's amazing and this is out in production today yes yeah so let's get into that for just a bit more because I'd love to dig into that if you're just tuning in I'm Rob Connybeer and you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM's business radio powered by the Wharton School channel 132 and I'm here right now with Irina Cronin, who's the CEO of Infinite Retina. So when people go to deploy these augmented reality headsets that help them work on engines or help them work on the assembly line or fix these problems, what's the hardest thing in training people to use these headsets for the first time? Okay, so they're usually a very special case. It's it's not the way that maybe it's going to be in the future where uh, people wear these headsets all the time while they're on the job. So they're put on for very uh, specific use cases. They have to understand what those use cases are all about um, and what some of the limitations are. Uh, that it's basically like a uh, almost like a recorded video. That's the stage it's at right now. So it has a narrative uh, that, they're, that they have to understand, and it's limited in that way. In the future, if you wear spatial computing glasses all the time while you're in manufacturing, logistics, other type of retail transportation, uh, it'll be much more broader, and it'll, you could apply it to so many different things that you need, uh, probably because AI will be better instituted. Uh, computer vision will be more available rather than for that particular task in that area of the room for manufacturing. So it's going to be more ubiquitous everywhere. So, so many more things will, will be able to get done while you wear the glasses. Who, who makes the best headsets today? <laughs> well, is that... I guess you got to keep everybody happy, but yeah. Um, but, okay. but maybe, maybe being super objective about it, who's yeah. had the most deployments and the happiest customers? Ah, okay. So um, there's a company called Realware that uh, does enterprise work uh, for logistics and, and uh, for manufacturing more specifically. Um, they didn't start out as fully augmented reality. What I was saying was 2D overlay. Um, they've been really good at bringing together the software that used to kind of uh, have to be uh, done for every customer. So it was a consulting kind of thing. The software had to be developed for each customer. Now they made it pretty uniform across and you just have to tweak a little when you go to a different company and use it. Um, they're able to use uh, to speak commands, um, um, spoken, spoken commands, and it's pretty flexible in terms of uh, the language that you use. So just like when you use Siri or, you know, Google, hey Google or whatever, there's many different ways you can uh, explain yourself what you want and it understands. So that's the kind of flexibility that this headset has now. Uh, it's still a little limited in terms of the field of view. And it doesn't have the most flexibility if you go outside of the boundaries of certain kinds of topics when you use speech. But I wouldn't say it's the best. It, it does its job as it's supposed to for manufacturing. I'm the most excited about uh, Microsoft, Microsoft HoloLens 2. 
Yeah. By chance, is that one of the reasons that you're up here in Seattle right now? There, there's a reason. Yes, huh? there is okay. something about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, having seen it in action and having the used, next generation, you uh, mean? Yeah. Okay. The, the Hololens itself was. I wasn't such a great fan of that. I could see the the usefulness of it, but the Hololens too is so much better. Is that what they call it, or you can't they say? Call it they the do Hololens call it too. the Hololens too. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I think about other platforms. Isn't it the 3.0 that tends to really break out? There is some truth there because, um, you know, Apple's supposed to come out with their headset next year, right? Or visor. I was just about to it. ask you about that. Yeah. So it kind it's of called converges. a visor? There's a possibility that it's a visor. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but it's not only Apple, it's probably Sony and a whole bunch of other companies. So, like five, six major names plus Apple plus updates from Microsoft, et cetera. So it's going to be a really big market soon. It's just going to hit. It's interesting because it seems like VR and AR have followed this wave that you see in technology where you have that initial enthusiasm, and then what's it called? The trough of disillusionment? Yes. And then it becomes the plateau of productivity? Is, are those the basic waves? Like, really <sighs> excited, but the technology isn't quite good enough yet. Then everybody's like, oh, I guess it just stinks. <laughs> and then people start to adopt it. And from where I sit, when you look at the most recent Oculus Quest headset, yes. for example, where it can actually track what's around you without having to use the external sensors, yeah. it's actually it's a great out-of-the-box experience that I think people expected with the first wave, but it wasn't there. And now using it, people are slowly saying, wow, this, this tech is actually getting pretty darn good. I'll tell you what really makes people think that the Quest is good, besides the fact that it's wireless and it's sixed off without having, you know, uh, the cameras are inside the headset. Um, the first VR headsets were not built for the general public. Uh, it was really hard to get people to understand how to put it together, especially if you're not tech. And even if you were a tech person, there are a lot of issues. It wouldn't work a lot of the time. You'd have to figure out what was wrong. Well, yeah. I mean, you you go to use it, and then you might get let some sort of configuration box come yeah. up saying, hey, can you reinstall this driver, or could you do this, when yeah. what you were doing is hoping to just use the VR. Right. Uh, the thing is that people who knew about VR since, let's say, 2010 were, of course, the biggest cheerleaders. So they really wanted to push it, and no matter how difficult it was, they were still all in. But everybody else who's not like that, it just didn't work. So it's like turning on a light, right? It's got to work every time you turn it on. Otherwise, there's something wrong with it. Yeah, it should but be that simple. It has. That's you the put way it on your head. You turn on a machine, and you see it something work. great. Yeah, something that's helpful. So the thing with the Quest is that they have the usability down uh, finally right where you put it on your head and it leads you through how you actually get it going and set it up. It's effortless. So Quest is good. And do you think these platforms that are coming, the HoloLens 2, the stuff from Apple is just going to get better and better and better? I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be made for everybody. So how long to awesome? <laughs> is it two years out? When you think about it, think about when people, when you use the iPhone for the first time, you use the Mac for the first time, that aha moment. What, when do you think we'll get that platform where somebody uses it for the first time? They go, wow. Do you think it's already here with the Quest? Do you think it's another generation or two out? I think it's about three years out. Um, with uh, the Apple headset, 
next year people will be wowed by it but it's there's certain technical aspects of it that it will need a second generation which will come fairly soon after the first one kind of like the apple watch they're finally getting around to where the screen is on all the time yeah there's um there's some um uh that could have actually been done before if they wanted to. They decided not to do it. So it's a feature they decided to do now because it was wanted. Uh, there's some aspects with AR where uh, there are issues of overheating. Um, uh, there are issues with battery power and other significant technical obstacles that need to be overcome for that thing to say, wow, this is like childproof and like ready for everybody. Yeah. And I could keep it on and wear it for three hours or four hours as opposed to 20 minutes of playing Beat Saber. Yes. And that's VR. So AR should be a little bit easier both for adoption because uh, people are still left in the real world. They feel more comfortable about that. The headset or whatever it is, that's coming is going to be lighter and uh, it's not going to cover your whole, uh, your eyes and your eyebrows and all that kind of stuff and get hot. Um, So it's going to look more normal um, and it'll be more of a practical use case. Well, it sounds like it's a lot of stuff like you see with phones. We all remember the big Motorola brick phones. Yes. And then it got to a point where it's a flip phone and it started to become sexy and it worked well. And then the keyboard went away after the BlackBerry. There were like a few waves and step points to where it really became a mass market device. And it sounds like it's the same. So maybe changing gears a little bit for the last part of the segment here. One of the things that I've found with technologies that really break through is they have really interesting enterprise applications, but people want to use the technology also for the consumer side. Yes. And have you spent much time doing the consumer stuff? So we were talking about Beat Saber. And for people that aren't familiar with Beat Saber, best-selling title on VR. And basically think of it as Dance Dance Revolution meets <laughs> Fruit Ninja, where you basically swing katanas in the virtual world, but you do it to a beat. Yeah. to songs uh-huh. and you feel like a rock star when you're doing it mm-hmm. do you like beat saber i like beat saber i just wish there was more of beat saber uh like different iterations of it that are awesome and everyone can say wow there's only more than one beat saber yeah. well what's what are your favorite consumer vr titles okay so this is the thing um i like gaming quite a bit now, you got to realize most of VR, when you are asking about it this way, is gaming, right? Uh, I do not focus on VR gaming, both in my business and in my personal life. Because you're helping businesses figure out how do you leverage it to make money in your applications yeah. as opposed to the entertaining side. I am, although I did start in entertainment, um, Basically, I was in in Silicon Valley for a while working on the tech side doing strategy, and then I moved over for content. So I understand both worlds. It's just I'm at at the heart of what I am. I'm much more practical. And there's so much that could be done that hasn't been done yet, both for VR and AR. AR especially is very apt for practicality. Well, actually, I think this leads into something interesting because you've talked about how you advise and help big companies and intermediate companies think about VR. But for an entrepreneur that's, that believes and can see where spatial computing, AR, VR, et cetera, are going, yeah. 
What would you be advising them as here are the few areas where there's just this big gaping hole in the market and in two, three years from now, when you're coming to market and these great headsets are coming available, great hardware is coming available, where should they be focused? So you're talking from the VC uh, finance. Of course. <laughs> I'm a venture capitalist, so I'm always looking for the opportunities. Yeah, I, I think along the same lines because there are huge gaping holes. Um, and I, I'm not going to address VR. Uh, I'm going to let, let me talk about AR and I'll tell you why after I say this about AR. So um, there's now uh, some companies that are doing what's called AR Cloud. Um, you can imagine what that's about. There's a company called 60.8i that helps you uh, basically scan the world with a phone uh, and retain that mapping, uh, although it's, it's quite crude right now. And then um, they store it for you. So every time uh, you want to pull it up, it's persistent. It knows where you were standing where, when you took the thing, so it knows location. Uh, and it's going to obviously be very useful in many, many different ways. Now, um, one of the things that could be greatly improved is any kind of app or service that will allow this kind of scanning and mappability to look really beautiful. Right now, the resolution... And maybe even make it fun to do it. So the idea of using yeah. the camera to scan and be able to take the real world and put it into the virtual yes. to make it fun. Yes, uh, right. Um, well, fun and also useful is that you could, it's flexible so that you could use what you just made in many different ways. So that, that's also another kind of app. And you can imagine for enterprise and for businesses what that would mean. So right now it's at a very, very early stage where the mapping is, is it's nice that you're able to do it, but it's just not yet ready to say, uh, for regular everyday people to say this as a, a product, Right. But it's getting there, I'd say probably a year or two. But it needs those extra special, it's software that's needed. Everyone always seems to focus on hardware for some reason. It's not hardware. It's software that's needed to blend all those And that's areas. where startups can really excel. Yes. And you can have a couple of people really get it right. So it sounds like maybe to boil it down a little bit, yeah. there's an opportunity in terms of how do you write the software that incents people or motivates or makes it easier for them to use the features of the hardware to get the real world into this spatial computing universe. You're absolutely correct. Uh, hardware can always be improved and then sometimes some feature sets are added on and people really like that and the resolution gets better, but it's the software that is used by the hardware that actually makes the product. Yeah, and one of the things I like to tell entrepreneurs when they're thinking about where the opportunities are going to be is get the hardware, play with the hardware, use the software that's on it, and then the holes start to become really obvious where the opportunities are. Yes, but right now, most people are nowhere near that point in understanding what you said to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Irina, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah, and for people that are interested in learning more about Infinite Retina, where should they go? Uh, just simply www.infiniteretina.com. Okay. And to follow you on Twitter? Uh, yes, it's just Irina.Cronin. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks again, Irina. Thank you so much. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.